Avengers! Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics, and so much more. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is Alex. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing just dandy. I'm experiencing the joys of being a 38-year-old man who just got braces on today. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. I am uh, continuing our new tradition of recording in a hotel room, at least having one of us recording in a hotel room. So it's my turn again, and we'll see what happens with this hotel Wi-Fi. So far, it seems pretty good. How are the braces treating you? You have to take any aspirin yet? I hate braces because the first thing I tried eating was a sandwich and realized I hate bread. <laughs> I, I had braces when I was in high school, and uh, the the lack of Dorito eating that I was allowed just made it such a terrible like three-year experience oh yeah uh, my morning meal that i eat is a an apple with some yogurt and granola and i'm not allowed to eat granola or apples yep that yeah i remember not being able to eat apples either apples are my favorite fruit yep and uh also i'm not allowed to eat chips chips you know like, like you said doritos and stuff like that and one of my favorite things to eat once a week is chips and guac and then also no like oh, harder yeah. candies. Our Skittles are one of my favorite candies. Couldn't have Skittles back then. Too too chewy, gooey, and hard. Yep. Uh, I did, however. Ex- I tried using a water pick for the first time today because it was recommended. And I turned my bathroom into a sauna. Uh, I had the full spa experience. It was lovely. Spas are nice. Yeah, it's great, especially when you're cleaning up water from the ceiling and <laughs> and everywhere else. So this week we are here to talk about Black Adam and House of the Dragon. We are going to kick things off with House of the Dragon, but we have a very nice treat for you to start things off. Uh, we have a review from Justin Henson from the Movie Wire podcast. He'll give his non-spoil... Well, I'm going to edit this down to a point where hopefully it'll be non-spoilers, but maybe there will be spoilers, so... We'll just do the spoiler warning now. You're going to have to edit a lot of it because you said we're starting off with House of the Dragon. Did I say? Oh, dang it. <laughs> we're starting with Black Adam. That's that's where the excitement comes in from Justin Hansen and Henson. Make sure I enunciate that properly. Justin uh, runs a, a great movie review podcast called The Movie Wire, where he reviews about four or five uh, movies every week. And usually he'll do one of those reviews with his daughter, Brooklyn, and it is just the best. I love Justin. I love his reviews with his daughter and uh, it's must view or must listen podcast. In my opinion, I just, I love the way just Justin looks at movies. Um, So we're going to hear from Justin real quick here again. I'm going to, he sent me his whole review. If you want to hear the whole thing, you'll have to check out his podcast, which again, I strongly recommend, but I've edited this down to some highlights and his overall thoughts. And then we'll come back and we will get into the nitty gritties of black Adam. So we will be right back after these words from Justin. Based on the DC Comics, nearly 5,000 years after Black Adam, played by Dwayne Johnson, was bestowed with the almighty powers of the Egyptian gods and imprisoned just as quickly. Black Adam is freed from his earthly tome, ready to unleash his unique form of justice on the modern world. 
Now, it's hard not to compare how DC and Marvel movies run their course when it comes to building a universe. Marvel has spent years to build up its characters with individual films. Some good, some bad, but the anticipation on where the characters will land in the bigger scheme of things is what keeps fans hooked. When it comes to DC films, it's like they brought a motorcycle to a track race. They try and take as many shortcuts as they can to attempt a Marvel-esque kind of feeling, and most of the time, they fail. The shortcuts land to unmemorable characters, sloppy writing, and in just an overpacked, overpriced knockoff that you would find at a flea market. Black Adam is no different except it proves my point even more so than any DC movie thus far. I was a big comic book reader growing up, and to some extent I still am, but I was never a Black Adam reader, so upfront and honest, I knew very little of the character of Black Adam going into this movie. So with that said, this review will be strictly on the content of the movie without comparison to the original material. And in all honesty, after watching Black Adam, it really didn't tempt me to come home and seek out the Black Adam comic books. I had more of a curiosity before I went into the film about this character. Now I have followed the news over the years of Dwayne Johnson's journey to finally appear in the Black Adam suit, and it all started in 2007 with basic talks but not confirmed until 2014, where Black Adam was officially announced. Originally set to play in the original Shazam in 2019, the plans obviously changed to have Black Adam have his own film. The underlying tone of Black Adam without fully knowing the comic is that the movie wanted to portray an anti-hero and the balance between good and bad. And what would a man with superpowers look like when he has a background of loss and trauma? A character that has to balance the darkness and a hint of human good. The tone of the film doesn't support this as it all seems amateurish and cartoonish. There is no contrast in tone to support the character and the dialogue of being light and dark, or even past painful trauma. It is so, so simplistic that it relies on Dwayne Johnson's mere presence to carry the character. And this doesn't work. He has very limited speaking lines, and given the background of a superhuman that has been imprisoned for 5,000 years and his background of loss, the film never truly deep dives into this with Black Adam's character. There is no personality to Black Adam whatsoever. The studio should have stuck to the original plan of just having him co-star in one of the Shazam films. The film again is loaded with a lot of characters and we get very little screen time with them, and we know absolutely nothing about them. This is where DC films need to stop and take a breath and slow down. These characters either needed to have their own movie or more screen time to have the audience really engage and attach ourselves to them, but we never get the chance to do so. It just feels like a chaotic mess and it comes across generic and sloppy. Johnson is completely absent from any kind of acting in this movie and with limited lines. I am almost insulted for Dwayne Johnson for the way they took any sort of uniqueness away from his character and you can almost hear the director in the background say, shh, Dwayne, too much talking. Let's keep the script of five words, please. And action. Black Adam relies heavily on its making a visual spectacle of itself, and again, there is nothing wrong with that if you're trying to be just an entertaining popcorn flick. It doesn't hide that, and it makes it more than obvious to the audience. The special effects and CGI are spot on when it comes to the integration to Black Adam and the other superhumans, but where the film starts to go into sci-fi original movie made-for-TV territory is the surround effects that look really artificial and are not believable. With the exception of the last 15-20 minutes of Black Adam, the climax is actually very pleasing. 
if you take out the design of our main villain and the place he spawns his powers from, which it looked like it came out of the 1997 Spawn movie. But the final battle is visually pleasing, I will give it that. But this is a movie that will not age well with the effects put into it. Black Adam was meant to be a completely different movie that shows a better origin story than what we were shown. Instead, we are offered something that feels rushed and unfulfilling. And when we finally see Black Adam in current times, we don't really see the rage he has had from his past and really see his anger to truly be invested in the character. We don't get that we have this anti-hero that we should feel intimidated by, but we get this anti-hero with a painful past that the writers are supposed to sell us on, but he just goes from mild to mild. There's no extreme with him, except for what the special effects try to envision it with. There is no risk taken with the character. Instead, he comes across as a grumpy guy in some tights that flies around a lot. This will be a one-time watch for most. Some people will enjoy this movie and find it entertaining. I would call this a popcorn flip because I did something I haven't done in a while. I got out of my seat in the middle of the movie and went to the lobby and got some popcorn to keep my mind occupied until the movie was over. I will give some credit to Black Adam. Most films like these usually start off strong and tend to get weaker with each sequel. At least this decided to set their bar extremely low. So there's only one way to go, which is up. I'm giving Black Adam one and a half stars. Alex, I got to stop bringing people in that can do better reviews than us in such a short period of time. I agree. I think that what we need to start doing is um, either editing the reviews so they look really, really bad, and we're like, which I mean, I've already edited forward. this one. <laughs> oh damn it! Okay, you gotta try. You gotta edit harder. Drop random words. <laughs> the, yeah, Justin has a very distinct voice. So does Antonio. So I don't think me just going yeah. like poopy is gonna work. <laughs> uh, maybe we can like trip it up by playing what is it uh, enter the clowns music underneath their uh, <laughs> underneath the review bulk and skull from the power rangers oh yeah exactly <laughs> anytime we can just just completely undercut the the sincerity and seriousness of their reviews oh yeah play some like really weepy music if it, they're giving a good review so people are like oh this is sad <laughs> alex i know we said we're going to dive into black adam but first i have a recipe for you that I really want to get your opinion on. Oh no. All right. So I'm going to make you a stew. Okay. You tell me if you think this sounds like a good stew. All right. You throw in the first Thor movie and Shazam with a little bit of Logan as your primary ingredients. Okay. Thus far I'm, I'm okay with it with a side of X-Men first class with some extra quicksilver action just to spice things up. All right. A pinch of Terminator two. And a little bit of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. All right. Okay. Sound like uh, a good stew? It sounds good thus far. Well, that to me, that's kind of what Black Adam is. It's a big oh. mixture of all these things. <laughs> but it turns out to be very mediocre and average. Yeah. Um, <laughs> saw it this afternoon after getting my braces on. And uh, so I rewarded myself with having a nice uh, icy you know, for the coldness to numb my mouth a little bit. Um, my wife came with me cause you know, my anxiety was pretty high going to the, um, going to the dentist. Cause I've never had any kind of work like this. I've never had cavities or anything. So we both get there. We're like the only people in the theater this afternoon. And I came out solidly like, this is, this is, this is okay. It was fine. And she came out like, yeah, that wasn't great, but I will watch it many more times. Cause it's just <laughs> fun. <laughs> 
That is exactly how I feel about it. Thank you so much, Alex's wife, whose name I do know, but I don't think we've ever actually said on the podcast. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so I, I I just wrote down a bunch of notes here um, after I walked out of the theater. So I, there, all of these are also not in order. So again, spoiler alert, which I mean, I, I believe I said it before Justin's review and before I flubbed and said we're doing House of the Dragon instead of Black Adam. So um what was your initial thoughts? You gave us your wife's. How about you? I enjoyed watching the movie. I enjoyed that they, uh, the unfortunate part about having so many superhero movies now is that we're getting to the part where everybody's powers are kind of redundant. Um, Adam Smasher is, of course, Ant-Man. Uh, Red Cyclone, I think she said her name was. Uh, uh, just is, Cyclone. Oh, just Cyclone is Storm. Uh, Hawkman is... I don't really know what Hawkman would be. The He's essentially the Falcon in this case, or the Falcon, oh, yeah, the Falcon. Uh, or okay. Sam Wilson's Captain America. Cause he also has a shield. Good point. And then, um, Dr. Fate is of course, Dr. Strange. Black Adam is just Shazam <laughs> or Thor. Yes. I, he's, he's a mixture of both because he is yeah. murderous as well. Yeah. It's just, I was, the only part that I'm like, oh, okay, these are just their equivalents, is I was enjoying watching the movie to see how they're reinterpreting their powers. I like in the middle of the movie, my wife told me she's like, okay, people are going to start cosplaying Cyclone because her outfit was gorgeous, the way they did the the, the movements around her was fantastic. I was just happy and enjoying uh dr fate because pierce brosnan was just having fun with the role overall my the thing i kept thinking about over and over the the thought that kept returning to my mind as i'm watching this movie is i think the rock filmed three days i think he had one day where he just did all of his lines (laughs) while floating he had one day where he walked through walls and then he had the other day throwing punches at the air and then they sent him a check for 20 million and he went cool that was what all I could think about was he seemed invested in being like a badass and showing a slightly different side of his personality versus the kind of quippy um, Dwayne Johnson we've been getting for the last like 10 years. Thanks to the fast and furious movies. But other than his initial reveal, which was fantastic. Yes. That was the quick silver bit that I was, was alluding to. I almost felt like he was bored and that's where I kind of that's where I kind of like tapered off of finding enjoyment in Cyclone's powers and watching Adam Smasher, um, Dr. Fate having a great time. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of nuance to the role. There wasn't a whole lot of emoting. Um, But to your point that you made earlier with how all these characters kind of Adam Smasher is giant man. uh, Dr. Fate is Dr. Strange. Like I believe Dr. Strange or Dr. Fate appeared in comics first. I I could be wrong. I will admit to being wrong if I if I am. But um, I, I, I give props to this movie for understanding that they're using a lot of the same kind of characters that we've seen in Marvel movies for the last six, seven years and just not caring. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And that's something DC really needs to commit to. They need to make fun movies like this and like Shazam and Aquaman, maybe at mm-hmm. a little more depth, but they need to not care what Marvel has done and just do their thing because yeah, Cyclone is essentially Storm without the additional weather powers, but the the visual effects team that made that effect, oh yeah, 
they deserve raises and bonuses and like profit sharing. That is some of the best CGI I've seen in a long time. It is gorgeous. Yeah, her outfit's gorgeous. The um the actress was obviously enjoying what she was doing. The slow-mo around her as her swirling like dress followed by then the wind is taking on her colors. That they were doing something interesting with her powers by having her picking up like collections of things and like pinning trying to pin um Black Adam down and like peppering the walls and blocking people. It was just beautiful. And I really enjoyed that. And in my head, I went, man, I hope Marvel steals that when they bring back storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, there, there's some really good stuff in this movie and um, more to your point of what you were saying earlier too, is uh, would you believe me that this movie took 15 years to get off the ground? Yes. And no, it's wildly unbalanced because you can see where some of like the old 2000 mid late two thousands move superhero movie stuff comes in. And then they, they, there is a more modern twist. This movie is, the problem is that it, it is wildly unbalanced because the Black Adam stuff feels very detached from the very early Justice Society stuff because that's where the X-Men first class stuff comes in, in my opinion, is right. when we get to Hawkman, you're like, oh, that's the X-Mansion. Oh, he literally has a, a Blackbird and it's literally coming out from underneath the basketball courts or something yep. on his property grounds. And the inside looks like it doesn't belong there at all. No. This is from a completely different movie. They like went and raided the Serenity set and like gave it a polish. Like <laughs> it, it does not fit this movie's aesthetic. Yeah, they visit the um, the Accords uh, superhero prison briefly to lock up Black, try to lock up Black Adam. And I'm like, yep, man, there's the end of Winter Soldier <laughs> or, or with, oh, Civil War. Yeah, there's the end of yeah. Civil War, borrowing that set. There's just there's moments where you can kind of tell they kit bashed a script together, but there's also weird moments where I was wondering if this script was intended to have Black Adam because the way they set up the, the third finale fight, Black Adam is completely removed from it until like the last 40 seconds, which my wife went leaned over and said, I thought this was a Black Adam movie. This is like now a this is now a Hawkeye or Hawkeye film. <laughs> Hawkman. And then she, yeah, Hawkman. And then she's like, but I Hawkeye really and enjoying Hawkeye Doctor- are the same person. <laughs> Birdman <laughs> or Bird Person <laughs> for Rick and Morty. But then I'm like, yeah, but I'm really enjoying enjoying Pierce Brosnan's Doctor Fate because this is cool. Like, like I really wanted to know more. Like, okay, Doctor Fate has a helmet that's like from an alternate dimension. It's like millions of years old that it will kill anybody who touches it. Tell me a little bit more about that because that was, that sounds fun <laughs> and that he's like 130 years old. Yeah. The Dr. Fate stuff. Um, I forgot to verify. Um, let's see here. Conceived as a fight. Okay. Yeah. So the Dr. Fate stuff, it, it bothered me because um, they, they really didn't get into any detail about it. Like the movie didn't need to, I, I think that, this movie needed a, a prequel with a justice society movie. Like you could have had a Hawkeye. God, now you got me saying it. Hawkman and Dr. Fate. And then you could have had two whatever's you could have had. Um, Is it Henry Winkler? Because Henry Winkler is also in this movie. <laughs> no, he's apparently the uh, original uh, Adam smasher. Jay Garrick. That's his name. They could have had him. So you can kind of get a taste for what the, the speedster stuff is like, but uh, Dr. Fate, the the actual hero 
of Dr. Fate is the helmet, which is possessed by the spirit of Nabu, who was endowed into the helmet by the Lords of Order because they needed a representative for their magic and to keep the Lords of Chaos at bay. Basically, he is their avatar, but the avatar is also able to be passed from person to person. But Nabu is also a super dick because he doesn't like he doesn't like letting his avatars go. So like once someone puts on the helmet, Nabu is like, no, you're you're going to hang out here in the helmet with me and I just get your body. But he has like he actually develops like a really good relationship with Kent Nelson, who is portrayed by Pierce Brosnan. But this movie doesn't really care about that, except for making that quick like Suicide Squad line of like, hey, this is Katana. Don't get on her bad side because that sword will steal your soul. Whereas this one, it's don't touch the helmet because it's going to steal your soul. That is also another like reason why I feel like this script is kit bashed from multiple scripts. And I, I will tell you my one of the major points of contention I have with this movie is skateboarding as a personality trait. Yes. <laughs> so Amon, which I think could have been completely removed from this movie. No offense to the actor. I did not like how they framed or filmed it. Okay. They show them for skateboarding and then hanging on the sides of cars while skateboarding. And then he never goes down the stairs skateboarding, but the flights between the stairs, even if they're three feet long, he skateboards, then picks it up and walks down the slide. I'm like, Oh my God, your personality trait it's skateboarding and then at the big end fight where they have to have the 12 extras they found to film that day he's using the skateboard as a weapon not only that but when they he arrives with the like 13 extras as backup he's slowly skateboarding in with no urgency it's supposed oh, yeah. to be like this big triumphant moment but he's just slowly gliding along the street even though there's zombies coming after them and yeah. it's like what the heck do you're not being inspiring right now. You're being a, a slacker. Yeah. I just was like, I, I, I don't like this. I don't know what's going on, but that is where I'm like, okay, someone in 2006 went X games are still popular, right? Cool. Skateboard. (laughs) And it just transferred over as the defining character trait. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think if you wanted to keep them on in this movie, one of the things you really needed to do was with the way he connects with black Adam is He's essentially, uh, I think it's Freddy is the, the foster brother from Shazam. He's basically Freddy, but with skateboarding instead of crutches. Right. What I think he needed to do just to make himself a little bit different from Freddy is he needed to not like Batman and Superman and all these other mm-hmm. heroes because they have this moral code, even because he's grown up in this re- oppressed society and he needs something to believe in which is just a hero and he needs he wants freedom freedom at any cost and that's where black adam he can relate to him he's like yes you just murdered like 30 people in five seconds you're what we need but he's he's like oh yeah superman batman flash they're all really cool yeah they also try to give him the john connor role to bring up your terminator 2 reference by having him be like hey this is you need a tagline hey you need a quip don't forget your quip before you kill the people not after (laughs) and i'm like oh that being said, his mom, Adriana, I was like, I would love to see her as the new Laura Croft because they're rebooting Tomb Raider again. And the first like 15 minutes with her, I was like, you would be perfect to take on the mantle of Laura Croft. You're a yes. Tomb Raider. You're intelligent. You are showing. And throughout the entire thing, her agency is not. I was so afraid they're going to try to do the whole like, oh, my son and you and me and wink. 
no, they never did that. They never put, tried to force some kind of love triangle or anything like that. Her agency was always protecting the people of the society and saving her son while also inspiring freedom. And I love that character. I loved her characterization. I love that there was no meat cute stupidity or bullshit. She was lovely as that. And I really want her as Laura Croft now. Yeah, that that first sequence where they're looking for the crown, um, that was really good. And she does a big leap, which is very Laura Croft. Of course. She doesn't doesn't care about much else besides getting her tomb raided. Um, (laughs) Not not an innuendo. Not an innuendo. (laughs) And uh, yeah, is she she was a a highlight for sure. Um, She she definitely stood out. And like you said, it's with the way this movie was structured with a script going all the way back to like 2006, 2007. It's very possible that they could have had this as a love interest because every movie, every superhero movie back then needed a love interest, which they, I think they kind of alluded to that a little bit with Cyclone and Adam Smasher. Like maybe that was the original scripts romantic subplot, but they obviously decided to ditch that and just make it more of a flirtatious kind of thing. The thing is, as much as there's just so much good in this movie, like it is enjoyable popcorn flick and enjoyable when it comes out on HBO Max in probably like 50 days or whatever, I will rewatch it because there's great action sequences. Like I think if the movie had ended, like for some reason we had gotten like a Justice Society um, thing and like looking for the crown and preventing the crown from being captured by the inter gang, which by the way, the worst named evil empire ever inter <laughs> inter gang. It was also okay. a big waste of actual inter gang from the comics. Cause they actually oh. do stuff. There's actually a comics and okay. It makes sense. Why I named well, it they're, they're villains in, uh, in the comics. It's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of a Marvel equivalent. Um, kind of like the wrecking crew or maybe the foot clan. Ooh, but they, they tend to hijack interdimensional or interplanetary equipment and use it for their own purposes, kind of like what uh, the Tinkerer did in Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, okay. But they, they do it on a, a larger scale and are usually funded by like Lex Luthor or Rachel Ghoul or anyone like that. If they had ended the movie with the reveal of Black Adam and his painted black montage of death... I think the movie would have been stronger. Instead, we got like the 10 minute backstory thing, which is obviously a fake out watching that. Just like, this is a fake out and something's going on here, which, which was, movie, uh, which, was also spoiled in the trailer of the movie. Yep. And uh Hawkman immediately like shows up and is like, listen, we know more than you guys. And he's evil. The movie seems to lack agency when Dwayne Johnson is on screen, which is really unfortunate. That's the part I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed the action scenes. I enjoyed him killing much people. I enjoyed Hawkman and him kind of going back and forth a bit, but it just somehow did not add up. the The parts didn't add up to being great. They just came add up to being pretty decent. And I'm not sure if that rests on him or that rests on like the wonkiness of the script or what. It is a little bit of both, I think, and also there's. A lot of emphasis. I think, I don't know if this is like a vanity project for The Rock. I know it's been a long time coming for him with this movie, but there are little things in this in this film that just really take me out of it. It kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the drama with the Fast and the Furious movies where 
like he and Vin Diesel and most of the other characters have clauses in their contracts where they can't lose. They can tie yeah. or win. And yeah, there's a lot of this in here where like Adam Smasher, who is basically Peter Parker mixed with uh, Ant-Man, Giant-Man. He has Black Adam just locked in under his fist and under the concrete. You're like, okay, yeah, he's he's immobilized. He can't get momentum. He can't do anything. But then within seconds, he just kind of throws his fist off or he like electrifies him or something. And he just comes right out. It, it's they took the Superman problem, which is how do you make a character that's invincible and just unbeatable and make them interesting? And they just went, the rock has a whole bunch of charisma that we're not really going to showcase, but he's going to be dry and sarcastic. And we're going to roll with that. Yeah. And like for the, for the most part, it actually kind of works, but it doesn't help with, making us invest in the black Adam character. And almost every time he's on screen, they like ADR, they like ADR a lot of his dialogue and they give it a, a bit of a base boost. And so like mm-hmm. every time he's talking, it's just booming every time. And it, it just feels like the rock really just needs people to know how awesome and badass he is. And then every time when he's actually walking, they give him, unless it's like a solemn moment, like when he's about to say Shazam, they emphasize his steps as well. Like he's, he's got 800 pound footsteps with every step. And it just, it's like, why, why do we need this? Why do we need to know how heavy he is? There's also a little bit of a problem with the script coming in so late is that there's also a bit of Deadpool one in this script in that Hawkman is pulling the psych, uh, not Cyclops, um, the big steel guy, Bishop, Oh, uh, no, Colossus. Uh, Colossus, thank you. He's pulling the Colossus role of like, listen, heroes don't kill people. You got to stop that. And Black Adam is going, I kill people, you know, <laughs> even like towards the end of the movie where they defeat basically Satan. Um, it is very similar to the whole like <laughs> Colossus, the whole like one good moment and you can be a good person. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Kill him. <laughs> That's one of my notes is the uh, the JSA feel feel like they fell pretty loose with their rules by the end of it. Basically you can kill these people in front of us because we Mm -hmm. know we can't beat them. So you go ahead with your murder, but because we didn't do it, we're still the good guys and we're still holding our code, even though that's not true. Yeah. I mean, should we go ahead and spoil the thing that's been leaked forever now? The mid credit scene. Um, I've got a couple more things here real quick. DC avoided the big gray CGI final boss. That is actually true. By making him a big red CGI final boss. With a sky beam. <laughs> they still got the sky beam in. His the the main bad guy's name is Sabak, which I immediately was like the bad star Star Wars poker game. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you needed to change that. Mm-hmm. And that it, it's still basically a same versus same ending as well. Pretty much. And then there, this movie is full of plot holes and things that don't make sense. It does not matter, but I want to know why the hell Black Adam woke up and he just knew English. <laughs> he was speaking like ancient Egyptian or something. And then he gets knocked out because he gets mm-hmm. hurt with his kryptonite, which is uh, some stupid thing called Eternium. Unobtainium. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And he just wakes up talking to Amon, the kid, and he's like, where the hell am I? What the hell is the door? You're stupid. What the hell are you talking about? It just speaking English, just being uh, like 
can there be a moment where he like watches an hour of TV? He's like, yeah, I've, I've learned your language. I understand things. And he just like, if you want even a little bit of humor, you can make him misinterpret certain things and he can say words wrong every now and then. Yeah. Kind of like Jarvis in Iron Man three, where he can be like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. But sometimes I'll say the wrong cranberry. Just <laughs> have something like that. And then I, I mentioned this before the movie is crazy unbalanced with its visuals and its tone at times. They still try to throw in like a little bit of guardians of the galaxy or 2016 suicide squad with a really bad soundtrack, which is basically just baby come back. Oh yeah. That with the, with that. the weird uncle. That's not Chris Pratt or Jack black, but they want him to be both. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. So something that kind of weirdly took me out of the movie is the rock likes to have a lot of the same people around him around him. Like this is the director that I believe did jungle cruise with him. I think one of the writers worked with him previously is when they review, do the whole reveal of he was actually not supposed to be black Adam Shazam. It was actually his son who passed away and they show his sons. They call him the champion form. That person, I tilted my head and I went, I know who this is because the champion, his son, you know, the Shazam form, the champion before it passes it to black Adam. That is actually the rock. If you are a fan of young rock, which I am, that is actually the actor who portrays rock at the age of um, 18 to like 23. Really? They're like just out of high school into college, um, work, college football team rock. And I was like, huh, <laughs> I mean, it's a great casting. You need a big buff person. You blah, 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 you know, a big buff person who looks like the family, familiar, uh, the family resemblance and stuff like that. But all I could think of was it's himself. <laughs> Speaking of young rock, uh, there is some like skinny Steve Rogers from uh, the first Avenger demuscularizing of the rock in this movie, but he still looks like the rock circa 1997 before he became massive. Like yeah. that dude's still buff and could kick someone's ass, but he's trying to look weak by hunching over. It's Which is really funny, strange. They didn't, they didn't remove his six pack. Cause I noticed that I'm like, well, I mean, he's chopping stones all day. He's, he's cutting yeah. rocks and I mean, you yeah. can get buff doing that even malnourished, I guess. <laughs> so are you excited for Henry Cavill's return as Superman? If it actually happens? Yes. Like uh, a post credit scene means nothing with Warner brothers ever, regardless of who is actually running the show. Uh, Henry Cavill posted on Twitter, uh, Instagram today about it. I did a bit of a thing and he says that there are deals in development for his, re- for his formal return to the movies. Until I see a trailer, and even then, <laughs> I, I don't know. But un- until there's actual set footage and trailers, and I don't even want to say a release date because Batman v Superman had a release date of like 2014, and then it finally released in 2016. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, you no, know, it released like 2021. Batman v Superman? Oh, no, you're right. Sorry, I was thinking Justice League. <laughs> Justice League was ever released? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a black and white version of it on, on HBO Max. <laughs> that sounds way too long and horrible. I don't. I don't think I want to watch that. Oh, those are fighting words. I like that. I, I like that version. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm. I'm very happy to see Henry Cavill back. He had the spit curl, and he made a, he a, a lot of. I had. He had a lot of Snyderverse people really upset, which made me love it all the more. Some little shit face on Twitter was like, "He he's throwing away his legacy that Zack Snyder created for him." And I'm like, what legacy? The legacy of murder? Superman I, does not murder. I, see, okay, this is going to spiral into a different conversation, but uh, completely. But so 
because we want we want to keep this con- concise. Plus, I'm getting hungry again. So, <laughs> <laughs> because I said spit curl, that's weird. No. Uh, so, the one of the defining traits supposedly of Superman is he doesn't murder people. One of the defining traits supposedly of Batman is he doesn't murder people. Is the defining trait of every DC hero that they don't murder people that there's like no death that we're going to like, we're going to capture them all and let justice be served. Yeah. So there's no like gray area at all. Depends on the hero you're talking about. Like that's why a lot of people really like Jason Todd's red hood is because he's essentially the winter soldier or any Marvel movie hero where they're fine with killing. Yeah. I, I guess the part that bothers me about it is you're like, well, you know, Batman doesn't kill people. He just brutally maims them or leaves them on speeding trains that crash into walls. <laughs> well, again, that's a movie. That's a movie where Batman will almost always try to save someone if he can. Uh, again, it, it's if he can, the Batman begins is a weird aberration and interpretation of his one rule. Uh, the dark Knight is a weird aberration of his role, considering he's yes. driving down the street, blowing up cars. <laughs> yeah. That may or may not have the, people the in movies. Them. Yeah. The movies do not care about collateral damage and, and body counts because they care about the action more than anything where the comics have a long form storytelling ability and they can do certain things that really bring that stuff home. But in the movies, they can't really do that because they don't have time for character development. They have a story to tell. They have a plot. They have things to get to. And it just, it's annoying to me because I think it makes it compelling because why the fuck is Jared Leto's Joker alive in the Snyderverse if Batman's just killing people willy-nilly? How is he still alive? Especially after he's killed apparently Dick Grayson as Robin. Okay, listen, my Batman takes exploding dynamite sticks and shoves them down clowns' pants and walks away. Yeah, that's okay. Michael Keaton. Don't forget he smiles with it, too. He's <laughs> yes, like, yeah, he I stuck that in your pants. You didn't even realize it until I looked down. That's how good I am. <laughs> which, speaking of which, I was really sad that Black Adam, that after he put that grenade in that person's mouth, I was really afraid the person, sad the person took it out and then exploded. Oh, that's one thing we didn't discuss either, is that this movie was actually originally developed to be an R-rated movie, even back in tw- 2007. Mm-hmm. But they've parsed it down to be a PG-13 movie, which they still get away with a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, there, there's some like 300 style blood splatter going on in certain areas, but like that first four or five minutes after Adam comes out or is resurrected, I should say he is decapitating people. He is incinerating people. He's throwing grenades in people's mouths. He's throwing helicopter blades at people. It is, it is pretty brutal. Well, he ends the movie by bifurcating the devil. I mean, that's full on in screen. We watched the devil get ripped right in half. Yeah. Yeah. Mephisto confirmed. <laughs> so what do you think uh josh what do you i i'm gonna say play? i'm gonna i'm gonna give this a must see hell yeah me too yeah it's it's stupid and it makes no sense but it is fun and that i can't ask for much more than that for a movie that's been in development for 15 years and uh i mean i i hate to disagree with justin again we, we view movies differently which is absolutely fine if it if it's not your taste cool but if you're looking for superhero fun, or if you're a fan of like the Wolverine or Deadpool, this movie should whet that appetite of yours where you will be satisfied with what you end up watching. It's stupid, but mm-hmm. it's brutal and it's fun. Oh yeah. So we are going to take a quick break to hear from our friends, the uh, super familiar with the Wilsons, Josh and Amanda. And then we're going to come back and talk about house of the dragon. We will be right back. The Super Familiar with the Wilsons podcast. 
You know that family whose house you hung out in when you were a kid? The house was a little loud and chaotic, but always fun, and sometimes felt more home than home. Well, that's us. We're the Wilsons, and we welcome you into our podcast with silly chat, ridiculous games, and interviews with interesting people. Like a spin doctor. The super familiar with the Wilsons podcast. Welcome home. That was a bit of a quick turn for the ad, wasn't it, Alex? A little bit. Whatever. It's fine. We gave our final thoughts and <laughs> moving on. We got we got things to do. I want to try and keep this a, to a tight like 70 minutes or less, even though All I right. don't know how this House of the Dragons review is going to be something because, mm. man, that that last episode alone, I spoilers again for House of the Dragon. I, I need to I I want to start with episode 10 just because I need to get it out of the way, but I need to say off the top. I need more Patty Considine in my life, either as King Viserys <laughs> or just somewhere. So if you don't know who Patty Considine is, he's the man who made single-handedly the greatest gif ever, which is from Hot Fuzz. He's one of the two detectives that walk off screen. And he's the one that comes back for a quick second glance. <laughs> and, he, and he improvised that moment. And he also gives us one of the greatest television performances ever. I'm not saying just in the recent years ever as King Viserys mm-hmm. and he, he does it so effortlessly, or at least it seems effortless. I cannot express how much I think the show is going to suffer without him. It's kind of like to me what happened in Zoe's extraordinary playlist, which again, spoilers for Zoe, the dad dies at the end of season one and the show kind of loses its emotional core because it loses a key element to Zoe's character development and something that kind of keeps her going as far as like wanting to improve herself, not just her personal relationships, uh, romantic relationships. It's also having that time with her dad where Patty Considine's portrayal of Viserys is just phenomenal. He, he plays a wonderful ruler. Uh, like this is one of the few people in a game of Thrones world that you're like, I like this person. They are a genuinely good person and they are doing things that I like and they are good. Everyone else in game of Thrones is just like the worst person ever, but Viserys was just <laughs> like the best and I needed more of him. It was just such an amazing performance and a literal gift to viewers. And I'm going to be very sad to see him go, but hopefully he gets recognized for his performance and receives many, many awards. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised he survived the first like five episodes. Yes. They, they make you think he's going to go pretty quickly and he lasts yeah. most of the season. He's very much the Ned Stark. Cause I think Ned dies in episode eight or nine of season one of game of Thrones. Yeah. So it, it, they kind of mirror that mold but he he still should not have survived as long as he did but like the last two episodes where he is still mostly mobile he's doing so without his left arm yeah he yeah he can't move he's really shuffling he's doped up on opium um but he really i mean that's why when he died it was it was a beautiful moment because all he really wanted was for his family to shut the fuck up get along and have a lovely dinner together. And he got that for a brief moment. And then it all went to shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
All because they had him doped up on opium. Yeah. There's your lesson, kids. Don't be doped up on opium. He was asking for though. I mean, he said he wanted it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're suffering when you're dying. I mean, you want to. Yeah. The most I can feel about this series, especially now that I've, you know, the final episode came out last night and watched it, is I think this does hit for me the stride that Game of Thrones had in seasons three through five, or three through maybe even six. Seasons one through four are basically perfect. They're lovely adaptations They're of the books. They're fantastic. And then you can kind of see towards the end of season four and where things are going to go off the rails a little bit because they're kind of running out of material. And then season five is like, okay, this is unusual. What's going on here? I expected better writing than this. Season six is just starting to go to hell. And then the less said about seven and eight, the better. But what I'm enjoying about House of the Dragon is I feel like I'm watching mid-run Game of Thrones. Where some stuff is just kind of eh, a, a little poor writing, a little bit of, well, what was the point of that? But for the most part, I'm engaged in what is happening through the power of the actors. However, I don't have someone I'm rooting for because, as you said, everyone's just an asshole and a monster. Which yeah, I, I think is my biggest problem with this show. I agree with almost everything you just said there. I think this is more later season Game of Thrones, not quite seasons eight and nine, but it, it does play loosey goosey with a lot of the the travel time because that was one thing Game of Thrones really tried to push early on or throughout most of its run is that if you're in King's Landing and you're trying to get to uh, Winterfell, that's going to take you four episodes to go that long mm-hmm. because they try to make it feel like, yes, it's, it's a journey where, uh, especially in like episode 10, uh, a lot of stuff, episode nine and 10 kind of feel like they're, they're one really long episode just broken up into two parts. But like in the end of episode nine, you have Rhaenys who gets on Dragonback and flies to Dragonstone. And then through the editing of the episode, um, we have, Rhaenyra have just the worst labor ever put to television. Uh, That is going to haunt me to the end of my days. Uh, That is one of the hardest things I have ever had to watch. Uh, She literally pulls a stillborn baby out of her in the middle of premature labor. And it is just, Oh man. Yeah. Rick. I don't, I don't know if I want Ricky watching that just because we haven't had a stillborn baby, but we've had our own experience with losses and stuff. Yeah. And it, it, I don't want her reliving anything like that or anything close mm-hmm. to that. And, and just as a parent, I don't want to, it, it's not something you really want to think about, but, and I don't know why it's something that the, the showrunners felt we needed to see. I get that there's a symbolism there because it's kind of like the series starts with her being like, I don't want to be a baby mill. And then she finally is called to be a ruler or fight for the chance to be a ruler. And she is literally pulling the part of her that is just making babies out of her uh, symbolically. And that part of her life is over essentially is what they're trying to say. You don't need to be as graphic with it to do that kind of symbolism. I, I just, 
Oh man. Like they've, they've done some crazy shit with Renera in this. Like she's walking hundreds of yards upstairs minutes after labor in like episode six or seven. And that alone was painful to watch because I've seen what labor does to women or childbearing people. And I mean, they, they do it in such a way that you're like, hell yeah, girl, you do you. But also it's like, I've seen this and oh my God, you must be in so much pain. Yeah, no. And then they end that scene. uh, It was episode six. It started with her giving birth. They end that scene of her being presented to Allison Hightower and she's walking back and there's literally a trail of blood behind her. So she'd been bleeding the entire way from her place to all the scene uh, uh, to present the child to the high tower. Then she's bleeding all the way back. And I'm like, whoa, like that was horrifying on its own. But then you have. Uh, yeah, no, that. Mm, that was that was that was horrifying. Deep, yeah. Yeah, that I don't think anyone really needed to see that. Like, I. I don't know that that scene. I get it, but did we need it? I don't think so. Yeah, that could have that could have been context clues at at best. Um, we didn't need we didn't need that whole sequence. I don't think. And again, I think they're trying to like draw parallels to her mother at the beginning, which they've already done previously with uh, yep. Damon's wife, uh, the mm-hmm. one of the uh, Valarians, not the Valerians, the Valarians feel like Hermione Granger's Leviosa. <laughs> I don't think this quite reaches the point of Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones ruled the world, but it is very close. But I don't think it can ever hit that point again just because people are always going to be a little on guard. Yeah. The parts of the show that bother me are not there's some issues like with like travel time because Episode 10 does have her. She fled back on da- dragon back. I'm willing to forgive that. If you're using a dragon to fly, okay, sure. You can show up the same episode. But then they also have... Oh, yeah. I lost I lost the plot with that. Um, yeah, that, that was what I was going to say. Through editing, it, it seems like we have this moment of uh, Rhaenys leaving King's Landing after the coronation of Aegon. She lands at Dragonstone. Rhaenyra goes into labor loses the baby. They start their war council. And then the hand is there like that evening. And she's, yeah. and Rhaenyra is up riding her dragon. Like we, we didn't get any kind of significant signification that this is like a day or two later or a week later or something, which would have been nice. Like again, context clues kind of help to let us know the passage of time where all of this feels like she literally just went through premature labor and is now back in her war council. It does really bother me, like those moments. My problem is those like lapses in logic where I need to know, has it been two weeks? Has it been three weeks? They're sending out ravens everywhere. And then it's like, well, if we take Dragon back, they're much quicker than ravens. I was like, well, the sea seems to go really, really quickly. Like, why don't you just sail it? <laughs> they're riding with the current. Exactly. Where I'm starting to lose the message a little bit on the show is they have done a very good job with casting. However, they have the contextual clues of casting are super off, especially when they do mention the passage of time, which is like um, Aegon says, you know, the king had 20 years to name me his heir when I was born, but he never did. And I'm like, okay, so you're 20. 
which means that Amond is supposed to be 17 or 18, which means that your wife, who's also your sister, is supposed to be like 15 or 16. And then you have the three bastard children of uh, Rhaenyra, who are supposed to be like between like 12 and 15-ish, because they, they mentioned said that, that Luke uh, Lucerus was 14, I think. Is that the oldest and, one or the, the middle and, one? Uh, that's the middle child. So I okay. think Jaceris, uh, Jaceris, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce it, I think he's supposed to be 15, 16. So I think it's like 16, 14, and like eight or nine. Yeah. And then the twins who are like three or something like that. Yes. But when you have like Jaceris, I believe he was the one that got eaten at the end of the episode. Uh, talking Luke to Amond. Which one was? Lucerus, Luke. Okay, how old was that one supposed to be? That was the 14-year-old. Okay, so you have a 14-year-old looking at a 17-year-old, and I'm looking at a 12-year-old actor who's looking at a 26-year-old actor, and I'm like, you guys are not three years apart. Nope. And that's the part that bothers me a lot, is I get their intention to kind of quickly age up the, the cast, but when they're aging up parts of the cast inappropriately it's really throwing me off that I'm supposed to be, rem- be constantly remembering these are teenagers. It's not like when they did in game of Thrones where all the, the Stark kids are basically supposed to be teenagers. Well, actually between like the, I think Arya is actually supposed to be like eight or nine when the show, when it all starts. Yeah. But uh, John was supposed to be like 15 or 16. I get when they kind of played with time a little bit because Ned's supposed to be like 35. Uh, Robert Brathian's supposed to be like 38 or something like that. And they're like, listen, we're going to hire actors in their 40s and 50s. We're going to we're going to put some of the like the younger kids. We're going to put them in their 20s because, you know, for believability reasons and stuff like that. But they're supposed to be only like maybe at most five years apart. And I'm looking at a grown ass adult man staring down like a 12 year old. And then when they have them next to their mother, uh, who's supposed to be 35, and I believe um, Olivia Cook is 27 or 28. I'm like, this isn't working for me right now. You are acting very well. You're doing things very well. But the contextual clues of where I'm supposed to be placing this war of these aggressiveness is not, I'm not being sold on, which is really bizarre because Matt Smith, who plays, um, crap, what is his name? Uh, Damon. He's like, I think about to be 40. And I remember him when he was cast as a young whippersnapper as the doctor in his late 20s. He has basically been the only actor other than um, Patty Considine who's not changed. But Matt Smith gives the perception constantly that of younger to older, which is something he did so well as the doctor. He was one of the youngest people to ever cast as the doctor and Doctor Who. But he embodied and through his facial expressions, you could tell he was a hundreds, if not thousands of years old doctor, which is what he's doing tremendously well as a guy who probably supposed to be in his 50s by now <laughs> at least show wise and that's what bothers me is i especially that ending of big old granddaddy dragon attacking and killing uh you know they're not in control of their dragons because they suck as dragon riders because no one's been in a dragon war in like 300 years is i'm looking at a dude who i mentally am projecting is like in his 30s beating up a 12 year old going and then feeling bad about it going like well you fucking deserve it <laughs> you dipshit yeah there's there's a lot of flawed logic in that last episode but um let's kind of go through this a little bit because uh episode one started back in it would have been late august i think or 
yeah, late August, they open up with uh, a text that's like, it says something about the House of Targaryen. And uh, by the way, this is 172 years before Daenerys. So shut up already about when does this take place? <laughs> like they, they tried to cut that off at, at, as quickly as they could because they, they just did not want to have to have people being like, but where's Danny? When's Danny going to be born? She's not going to be born for 170 more years. Shut up. <laughs> and the, this, the way this show kind of differs from previous iterations is that or from previous Game of Thrones, is that there are significant time jumps that happen throughout the season. So like episode one is the present. And then episode two, they jump forward like six months, I think they said. Yeah. And then between six and three, it's a two year gap. And then if I'm remembering three and four is another year or maybe two. And then four to five, I think is like a, a, a five year gap. And then this six to seven is a, a 10 year gap where a lot of shit happens that we only get context clues for, which I mean, that's absolutely fine. We don't need to have everything spoon fed to us. There's also another time jumper on episode eight where it's like seven or eight years later. It was a bold move by them to replace the original actors five episodes in to all of a sudden episode start of episode six. You have different people. The only part that I didn't like about that is I felt like I was watching well, I am watching two different people <laughs> because the like kind of stoic um, Millie Alcock had the kind of like a stoic kind of like crankiness as Rhaenyra was replaced by kind of like a wavering like guilt and un- guilty uncertainty by Emma yeah, like a weariness. Yeah. Like I know I've had a lot of bastard children, but come on guys, stop calling me on it. Yeah. <laughs> Versus I kind of felt like Millie Alcox would have been like, yeah, and and what about it? Yeah, it, yeah, she she wouldn't have taken no shit from no man. And then like I thought that it was gonna carry on a little bit more. Like uh Emily Carey's um Allison, she had that thing where she was constantly like they showed in two or three episodes, she's constantly like fidgeting and scraping her nails and making them bleed and stuff like that because she's Yeah, and so... that just went away. And that just completely dropped to somebody that seems to be more scheming but also like super offended that I mean, I kind of, I do get it. And I actually really appreciate where the actor, uh, where the actor is interpreting the role that Olivia cooks, basically her Alicent is she's trying to do what's best by her children, but she's also very aware that her friend is so has felt, feels so betrayed by her marrying her father that she might come after her. I get that, but there was no pivot from I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm I'm only doing this because I'm I'm anxious to fearful scheming. Yeah. That's, that's one of my notes here where uh, I think they are clearly trying to get us to root for Rhaenyra now, because not only has she lost two children in one episode, uh, between the, un- the the stillborn baby and Luke dying at the end of the episode, which um, the look on the the actor that plays Aemond when he has that moment of like, oh shit, I just started a civil war. Uh, that was a great look. Oh, it was so good. Um, but I think they are trying to get us to root for Rhaenyra in this war because um, 
she's being really level-headed and methodical about the whole preparation process. And she's being a little bit more like her father in that way. Um, and she, she's not malicious by any means because we've, we've seen her let her, her first husband, Lenor, who was a gay man who basically just, they could never conceive because they couldn't make things work, but they always just had this agreement of like, you, you do you and I'll do me. And, We'll just act like everything's we're a big happy family. It's fine. And she they they plotted to make it look like someone that's pretty obviously Rhaenyra assassinated him, but she actually just murdered some random person and let him go live his life with his partner in some land that won't judge him after he shaves his head. Whereas Alicent is kind of giving herself away to keep what she has and gain more. Like we, I don't know how much we want to talk about Laris, uh, that creeper. Um, <laughs> oh, I love him. She's, she's literally like letting him pleasure her himself at her expense knowingly so that she can get information from him. And it's gross. And not only because she's letting some perv perv on her openly, but she's kind of demeaning herself because she, we've, we've seen her grow as a, a person and as a character. And she's an awesome character. Like for most of the series, I was like, I'm team Alicent. And then we had that episode where she lets Laris jerk off to her feet <laughs> and like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> See, I find that so funny because it, it's a transactional relationship. Um, he decided to go off and kill a bunch of people for her when she was like, that's not what I wanted you to do. And, but he became basically, um, uh, he became the, what the Lord confessor, the spy master or whatever that role is called. But I just find that scene so bizarre and I love it so much because it is so, she, you know, she comes out and she's like, so you, and he's like, I have, I have news and then she's like begrudgingly like takes off her slippers and he's like um there's people like within the palace that are like doing things and then she kind of like rolls her eyes they don't show her take off her stockings but her stockings are clear or like removed and then she like turns and puts her feet up and starts like wiggling her toes and gripping like the ottoman and stuff and he starts touching himself while telling her and i'm just like this is such a creepy transactional relationship that i kind of love it because this is a weird fetish that you normally don't get displayed in movies or tv shows because like the original uh game of thrones was things along the lines of like there's a brothel play with her arse there's a bunch of you know people doing contortionism while having sex and then you get weird ass joffrey shooting up the uh, shooting up the poor sex workers cut to this guy just has a foot fetish <laughs> yeah which it, it makes sense for the character because he has a club foot and he he has walking problems so of course he's going to kind of fetishize quote-unquote perfect feet the one thing that this show has or this new series has done is it's it's really amped up a lot of the game of thronesiness of things like there's um I can't remember. It's the wedding episode where um, Lenor and Rhaenyra are having their engagement party, which at the end of the weekends with their wedding. 
and uh, Lenore's lover at the time like says the wrong thing to the wrong person and ends up getting his face crushed and they like turn the head and it just flops like the the bottom jaw just is like the only thing that's still visible on, on that on the on the head and they turn the head over and it just fl- just flails as they're turning it which is probably very accurate but like i didn't need to see that and not to mention that body then they then show in detail cleaning the body and have it nicely separated later on while it's being cleaned yes. by the sisters of silence or whatever they're called yeah and then you also have um Rhaenys's brother-in-law who gets decapitated but only through his upper jaw and like when like that was that was cool but um that's another thing with Damon that we kind of need to talk about where sometimes he feel feels like he exists in a different show because yeah. he just kind of like he just kind of appears out of nowhere certain times like when when Rhaenyra is basically being offered up to be someone's transactional bride he shows up and offers the stepstones to Viserys and no one knew that he was there, but he had to walk through the entire red keep to get to the throne room. And no one's, no one's like bolting in front of him to be like, Damon's coming. Damon's coming. Where the hell is everyone? Like does the security just show up in the throne room? They just abandon everything else. Seems like a pretty good time to plan a coup. Just lock the door and set the room on fire. Don't forget that he also has his, I'm a bad guy. Um, cloak and hood hoodie. Like when yes, he's going to do bad things, <laughs> when he's going to disguise him. Yeah, when he when he's going to murder his wife, uh, he's wearing his bad guy cloak and hoodie. When he's going to then seduce his underage niece, bad guy hoodie. Um, and when he's going to kill random people for his now adult niece, bad guy hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing I do want to plug here really quick, I know we've already, uh, we've plugged Justin's show and we've had uh, super familiar with the Wilson's ad. Uh, if you want a more in-depth breakdown of the house of the dragon, I cannot recommend Arya talking to me, uh, any more than I can recommend any other show. Uh, Arya talking to me, it's a bigger podcast. Uh, it's a couple guys from Australia, Ben Vernell and Adam Knox, and they love game of Thrones they're funny as hell and they they just they break down the show in a way that is entertaining as well as engaging and one of the things that they did um sir Kristen cole uh they described him as just like the biggest incel which i didn't really see it until i had listened to their review episode of that episode where he turns on rhaenyra and it's it you see it once you understand it immediately like, yeah, yeah, he, he's a heartbroken incel and he is a son of a bitch that needs to die. That is kind of where I'm getting kind of torn as to I don't have anyone to necessarily root for because Aegon is a piece of shit. Um, Aemond, I kind of liked Aemond until he decided to, you know, be a dumbass. But Cole is a is a horrible is a horrible incel. And Damon is I think that Rhaenyra doesn't quite understand that she's not the one in control of the relationship. And she better sure as hell be after this whole, like she had just, you know, miscarried their child and he's plotting for war and he kind of lifts her up and strangles her for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like she needs to understand that, but then she's also got her own problems. 
I mean, I guess Princess uh, Renice. Um, Renice. Renice. I guess I'm kind of rooting for her. Yeah, she seems to be the dark horse in all this because she she was the one who could have and probably should have had the throne instead of Viserys, but she didn't because she's a woman. I mean, Viserys turned out okay. The only problem with him is that he never had a son, which kind of screwed up the succession line, but that's not necessarily his fault. No, I mean, and he, and he, all he really wants to do is just work on his models, <laughs> work <laughs> on his models, study his old history. So the problem I have, the main problem I have with her is a problem that I have with um, the end of episode nine. They do the whole thing. They're going to crown Aegon King. They do it in the dragon pit. And I dislike that medieval shows like this forget two things. One, lanterns exist. Not everyone needs to carry a torch. Lanterns have been around forever. It's okay. You don't need to carry around a big stick of fire. You can carry around a glass case of fire. But everyone, when they go to do anything secretive, is carrying a big-ass torch. The second thing is, if you're in a round room like that, where there's a throne and it's obviously meant for some kind of procession or some kind of exhibit. I mean, like, you know, those rooms have been built to echo. They've been built to amplify voices. Look up some YouTube videos of, um, of people singing solo in like uh, medieval cathedrals or announcement halls. They knew how to make acoustics without needing stereos. And the whole announcement of the King thing um, that Otto Hightower is doing where it's like they kind of cut once or twice where it's like the people in the background really can't hear what's going on. I'm like, no, 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 no. That annoys the shit on me. But then also when they forget that your heroine is bursting out of the ground in full view of hundreds and hundreds of people, just murder them all. <laughs> Cause when that dragon bursts out of the ground in front of everyone, hundreds of people died and they kind of forgot to acknowledge yeah. that. <laughs> That is like so. That's some of the logical gaps that I just kind of bothers me about this show. Every once in a while, it's like you can't have this triumphant moment when you've just killed hundreds of innocent people who we saw were being forced to be there. Yeah, that the end of that episode really kind of they needed some kind of five minute sting where Rainey's went to Dragonstone. And then you end the episode there. Like I know the episode was meant to just kind of tell the story of Alicent and Otto planting Aegon as the rightful quote unquote rightful king. But with Rhaenys coming through and just like staring them down from her dragon and not setting them all ablaze, it made no sense to me that she didn't do that. You needed what we got at the start of this episode in that episode where she's like, I'm not the one that's starting this war. You need to figure this out. But it, it just, it fell flat for me because I'm like, why wouldn't she just kill them? She knows what they're doing. She they held them, held her prisoner in her room. She's pissed at them about it. Just kill them. And you, you have solved this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of got why she wasn't doing it because like Allison immediately, even though she knows it's stupid, just put herself in front of um, in front of the dragon to protect Aegon. And so I kind of felt that a bit that, you know, like her own children have passed on and stuff like that. Supposedly, I, I kind of understood that, that basically her thing was like, you guys done effed up because I got my dragon and I'm going to go tattle on all of you. <laughs> but there are just moments where I, 
the show, I don't believe, has hit the quite stride of when they want spectacle and they want plot. It hasn't. It isn't the early Game of Thrones where they interlinked the two so well. And I'm hopeful that they've that they're gonna take the feedback into season two. Like the spectacle and plot, I thought worked really well for the end of episode ten with the accidental dragon battle. And the last scene on Rhaenyra's face of like she, you know, has I don't know how she got told that her son got chomped in the midair. <laughs> I hope they explained that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how because um, like that. you know they were over the sea. Which by the way, I like to say my continuing my favorite trope. We got a brief moment of Matrix Sky because a dragon battle in the middle of a, of a, um, a thunderstorm gave way to a dragon uh, dragon being eaten. In Matrix Sky, <laughs> which is my favorite thing of like Ooh, from battle from darkness into the beautiful sky, Matrix Sky. Everybody go watch <laughs> Matrix Re- uh, Revolutions if you really want to get that reference. So um, before we we start wrapping up here, we do we would be remiss to not mention like the whole the whole purpose of the Civil War is the fact that Rhaenyra is the true heir to King Viserys. Because she has been told the Song of Ice and Fire, the the prophecy of the White Walkers coming through the wall, and uh, a Targaryen needs to be on the throne to be able to defeat them, and that that is basically Rhaenyra's birthright to the throne is the fact that she knows this, and in Viserys's dying breath, he confuses Alicent with Rhaenyra, or Rhaenyra with Alicent. Alicent with Rhaenyra, who he also thinks is uh, is his wife, Aemon, occasionally. Emma, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Emma, uh, but spelled spelled with an A. But yeah, so Allison comes to visit Viserys before bed uh, as he's dying, and he's confused thinking that she's Rhaenyra, and uh, Rhaenyra had come to visit him like the day prior and was like, is the Song of Ice and Fire true? Is all this really worth it? And he's telling her, yeah, it's true, but he's babbling in his dying breath. She's not making sense. He's not coherent. And he says like, yeah, the, the Song of Ice and Fire is true, and Aegon is the prince that was promised, and trying to say that Aegon prophesied the prince that was promised, but Alicent hears what she wants to hear. And it's like, Oh, you want my son on the throne. You want our son on the throne who is also named Aegon because Targaryens only know five names. So we're going to name all of them, the five names. Okay. And that kicks off this series of events that lead to this upcoming civil war. And uh, I, I like the setup. It, it makes sense. Other than the fact that, Alicent really kind of should just be like, what are you babbling about now? You're dying. Like you're, you're not making sense. You're, you said Aegon, the prince that was promised, like that means nothing. So she's, she's making some pretty big leaps in that regard, but it, it makes sense in, in this world where she's already like, I don't want Rhaenyra on the throne. You're telling me something about Aegon. Clearly you mean he want your son on the throne. Yeah, that mostly worked for me. I mean, it was that, that misunderstanding kind of bullshit thing, but I think it was her finding justification that I think she feels tricked and trapped, which obviously does happen with the whole Green Council thing, with finding out that her father had pl- had plotted this without her knowledge way before. But it's also that she does have that righteous indignation of like, I have done everything required of me I and even um, at that dinner that they have, where uh, Rhaenyra was just like, "You cared and loved for my father so diligently." When they're you know, when they were forced to say nice things about each other, I think part of that is that she sees that 
there is a justification of he gave me enough reason to name Aegon heir because he finally believes in duty and honor like I do versus his daughter who was being kind of a hoe for a little while. <laughs> but it still doesn't justify civil freaking war, man. <laughs> No, and and I mean it, it was coming either way because one thing we we have not mentioned is um, Reese Iffen's portrayal as Otto Hightower, who for most of the season plays the role of the hand. Uh, he also is giving an, an amazing performance. Uh, he seems to be kind of playing a, a dual role of Littlefinger with a little bit of um, Tywin Lannister. Uh, and, and like you, if you're looking for parallels to characters from Game of Thrones, you can kind of find them. But the, this show does stand well enough on its own that you don't need any knowledge from yeah. Game of Thrones prior. There are some moments where like they'll they'll drop like, oh, the Starks and the Baratheons. And like, I know those names. That's giving me some uh, some good serotonin right now because I like those people. Yeah, I, I, I dig it. I, I'm hoping the writing improves a little bit. I'm hoping we can hit some of those early Game of Thrones seasons one through four highs. But I'm content for the moment settling for, you know, some lesser episodes from uh, from seasons two through five. I, and I, I agree with that. I, I do hope we we see some refinement and they, they bring some intrigue because in true George R.R. R. Martin fashion, he's like, oh, this show should go four seasons, 10 episodes per season. Granted, I haven't yep. finished the books. So I, I, I don't know how the, the ending is going to go, and, but I'm I'm interested. I'm interested enough to come back for season two and see how they're going to try and make me care about this civil war, because it doesn't feel as grand as what game of Thrones had, where you had the story of John on the wall. You had Arya trying to make her way back to Winterfell with all of her other little adventures. You had the, the political drama that's going on in King's landing and all these other things going on with like the hound and, um, with, uh, Oh geez, what the heck is her name? Um, the, the, the the big woman um Brienne Brienne yes you had you had uh the stuff going on with Brienne where she's bringing Jamie back and she's betrothing or not betrothing she's swearing herself loyalty to everyone that's not a Lannister and it is there's a lot of intrigue going on there but it's so many different storylines that are going on that you can find something to invest in where this is literally Rhaenyra yeah. versus Alicent and I I want to know how they're going to make me care about this for three more seasons where probably if they're all going to be 10 episodes, probably 26 to 28 of those episodes are all going to be about this war. How do you keep that interesting? How do you make that work? It's going to be, it's going to be quite interesting. That's, that's going to be more what's going to bring me back. I think is just to see if they can keep me interested kind of like DC Titans where I, I hate watch it because I'm like, will you finally make me enjoy this? No, fine. I'll see you next week. Yeah. So with that, Alex, we got to give the Talking Smack rating. Is this a must-see or a pass? It's a must-see for me. I agree. It's a must-see. If for nothing else, Patty Considine's performance as King Viserys. Mm -hmm. Those eight episodes with him are just a gift. And again, even if you do not care about Game of Thrones, that performance is worth watching. I know it's eight hours of your time, but it is so good. Definitely. So with that, we will wrap up and uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to Justin for your review for Black Adam. Everyone, please check out the movie wire with Justin Henson. We usually run an ad for them every now and then. And 
uh, obviously take a listen to super familiar with the Wilsons. That's just a little slice of home and it's just a lot of fun. And you can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore scar. And you can follow the podcast at talking smack pod on Twitter. You can email us your thoughts. Did you like house of the dragon? Did you like black Adam? Anything else coming up that you want us to talk about? Email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Thank you to Beppo for our avatars. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, do all those sort of things and give the podcast your support, share, let people know about us. Alex, thank you as always for your time. And who do we have doing our theme music this week? We have Taylor Swift fresh off of releasing Midnight's last Friday and then surprise releasing a special edition of Midnight's with seven more songs called 3AM. She's remixing our theme music. There's nothing she can't it's do. 3AM, I must be alone <laughs> Is that the wrong? No, that's not her song? No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, thanks again, everyone, for listening and take care. Don't watch Star Trek. Watch Black Adam. <laughs>